Welcome to the Access Youth Ministry Podcast, the podcast that believes that faith in Jesus changes things. I'm Addison Smith, and today we're having a little bit different of a podcast. This is not just a, a normal podcast where we sit and talk with maybe with a teen or with another pastor. This is just a sermon, and I promised this to you in the previous episode because you might have been listening and been wondering, is it really all about faith? You might have thought that I was just making that up to make a point, but it's not the case. It's really there. And hopefully this sermon will help you understand just the how huge, I mean, the immense gravity of faith. This thought changed my life forever, and I hope it will change yours. So without further ado, let's dive into it. today. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter number three, Genesis chapter number three, and we'll begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says this, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you know I need you. Lord, there is nothing I can do, nothing I can say, Lord, that would help anybody. But God, we want to meet with you tonight. God, we want to know that you are here. Lord, the people didn't come to hear from me, Lord. They came to hear from you, Lord. And I pray that from your word, you would speak to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that we would open ourselves up as we know from this morning. You know our innermost thoughts, Lord. The darkness is light to you, God. There's nothing we can hide. So, God, I pray that we would just come clean. Lord, allow you to search our hearts. God, I pray that if there's someone in here who needs to be convicted, that you would convict them. And God, I pray if there's someone in here who needs to be encouraged, that you would encourage them. Lord, I pray you would do your will and your way in our midst today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to discuss something that the devil never wanted you to know. This is one of the devil's best kept 
secrets from believers. This is something, this is kind of like the secret, top secret battle plans of Satan. And, and it's something that doesn't change. I mean, because of our human nature, he doesn't have to change his tactics too often. The Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. But this is something that he does not want you to hear. And for that reason, I believe that spiritual warfare has probably already begun. Some of you, you're, you're getting some buzzes on your telephones. And, and maybe it's Instagram or Twitter or maybe it's a, a co-worker who needs something or maybe it's a boss or, or, or maybe you're thinking about a project you have for work or at home or, or maybe you're like a regular human and, and your stomach's starting to growl a little bit and you're beginning to think, did my wife make burritos or something? Uh, what are we eating after church? And I believe that right now the devil's trying to do everything he can to distract you because what he does not want is for us to listen to this. And so for that Reason I challenge you to listen in. Today we're going to be discussing this topic. Why genuine, and keyword genuine, not fake. I, I think the world has enough fake people, enough fake Christians. Why genuine faith, why real authentic faith in Jesus Christ always produces obedience. You might think, well, why, why in the world? Why in the world would Satan want to keep this a secret? Why would he try to keep that under wraps, that faith in Christ produces obedience? Well, because if Satan can get the church to think, if, if Satan can get you to think that there's no correlation between faith and what you do with your life, if he can get you to think there's no connection between the two, if, if he can get you to think that faith is merely mental assent or, or understanding, well, then he's got you. Faith moves. Faith breathes life into knowledge. Faith adds action to intuition. Amen. And this deception of the devil cripples genuine Christians and cons false Christians into believing they're actually saved. When Satan can get the church to think there's no connection, his battle for the culture has well nigh been won. Now, for clarification, i got to say this. Works do not save you. Wow. I hope people agree with that. Works do not save you. Works do not save you. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Can I tell you, if works could save you, then we might as well pack up and go to the Catholic Church, because that's what they do. Works do not save. Works aren't necessary for salvation. I think about the criminal on the cross, man. He had no things that he could add to his name nothing you could say Jesus and this it was Jesus only works aren't necessary for salvations and this too works don't produce faith if you're in here and you think, well, this guy just wants me to do this and do that and do that, and then, then I'll really be a Christian. That, no, no. Works on the outside don't produce inward faith. Inward faith produces outward works. And you know a good example of someone who had outward works but no inward faith? That's the Pharisees. Man, Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers. They had no inward faith, but they had so many works. And, and those Pharisees one day, they're going to stand before God and they're going to say, whoa, 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 did not we do this? And didn't we do that? Maybe there's someone in here saying, God, I've done so much. That's why I should get into heaven. But I want to tell you, outward works doesn't prove or mean you have inward faith. Yeah. 
But faith always produces works. You are saved by faith, and that faith produces actions. There's a story I love, man. This story, it made me laugh. There's a man named Ken Davis. And Ken Davis, he was in college, and and he was in a speech class. And in this speech class, he was asked to prepare a lesson. And the the criteria of this was they were going to be graded on their creativity and their ability to drive home a point in a memorable way. And so he began to research and do some, some different things. And he came up with the title of his talk. And the title of his talk was this, The Law of the Pendulum. When I first read this, I'm like, I think the guy missed the creative and all that law of the pendulum. That's boring. What is he talking about, the law of the pendulum? And, and so he says here, he says, I spent 20 minutes carefully teaching the physical principle that governs a swinging pendulum. And he says this, the law of the pendulum is a pendulum can never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released. Because of friction and gravity, when the pendulum returns, it will always, always, always fall short of its original release point. Each time it swings, it makes less and less of an arc until it's finally at rest. The point of rest is called the state of equilibrium, where all forces acting on the pendulum are equal. And so Ken Davis, what he did is he, he took a string, a three-foot string, and he tied it to the, 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 uh, a child's toy top. And he takes that string in the top and he fastens it to the, to the whiteboard there. And, and he takes the top and he holds it up here and he grabs a marker and he, he marks where he's about to release it from. And, and then he lets it go and it swings across and comes back. And he takes the pen and marks again where it comes. Swings across, comes back, mark, 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 mark. And, all the way down to where after about a minute it comes to rest. And some of you guys are like, man, this is boring. <laughs> and so it's coming to rest right there in the middle. And, and you can see all the marks proving exactly what he had said. The law of the pendulum is true. It will never return to a point higher than it was released. And so he looks at all the class. And he says, how many of you believe the law of the pendulum. Well, everyone's hands went up. Well, of course. Of course I believe it. I just saw it. You just spent 20 minutes explaining it. We all believe it. We all believe in the law of the pendulum. And over in the back, the speech teacher, his hands went up. And, you know, he's all right. And so he starts moving to the front thinking class is over. But Ken Davis says, "Uh uh-uh, it was just beginning. And so he comes to the front. and, And Ken Davis says, teacher, can I use you for a second? And so he grabs a table and puts it up against the cement wall over here. And he takes a chair and puts it on the the table. And he says, teacher, could you come up here and sit for a second and place your head right up against the cement wall? So the teacher does, and he gets up into the chair. And what the teacher didn't know is that Ken Davis, he had made his own life-size huge pendulum in the steel rafters of the building. He had used 500-pound parachute cord and 250 pounds of weight plates. And he brings it down from the ceiling, and it's dangling there. And what he does is he brings it all the way up to his nose. And it's right at his nose. And he looks at the teacher and says, All right, Mr. Teacher, you said just a moment ago that you believed in the law of the pendulum. Do you still believe the law of the pendulum? And now just for a refresher, the law of the pendulum states that it will return less than when I let it go. 
Your nose is in no danger. Do you believe in the law of the pendulum? And he says that he saw beads of sweat beginning to form on the teacher's upper lip as he's sitting there. And he looks at the class, and the class is looking at him. And he looks at Ken Davis, and he kind of, yeah. And so Ken Davis just lets go. He lets go of the thing. And and he says, man, the, the weights made a swishing sound as they arced across the room. And they paused for a second. And they made their way back. And he says, man, I have never seen a man move more quickly in all my life as that teacher jumped off the desk. And he says, now class, did he really believe the law of the pendulum? And everybody said, no. Why? Because what you believe always works itself out. And genuine faith in God will always produce authentic obedience to his word. And, and, and that's not, it also produces a genuine desire. You're like, no, no, no. Yes, it actually produces a genuine desire to obey God. And so therefore, all disobedience comes, and I'm going I'm to rephrase this, all willful disobedience comes from a lack of, of faith in God. The Bible says in Romans 14, 23, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible, impossible to please God. When I was a youngster, I was a mischievous kid. A few stories come to my mind, like when my mom took me to the mall and, you know, we looked different and she was dragging me and, and as she's dragging me, I was probably in trouble. I was yelling, this woman's not my mother. This woman. <laughs> yeah. I was a mischievous kid. I think I've grown out of most of it. And so there was one time that sticks out in my mind. That she probably doesn't even remember this. But she, she, she was a candlelight lady. Is that what they called it? Party light? Party light. Sorry, my bad. And, and so she sold candles. And I remember we always had candles in our house. And that's why I love candles. And, and so there was a candle sitting on the table. And I remember my mom, she went and she lit this candle. And she said, now, Addison, don't touch it. Now, I'm like, kindergarten. And I'm looking at that thing. I'm like, ooh, that looks nice. She said, now, Addison, don't touch it. Okay? It'll burn you. It'll hurt. And then like a neglectful mother, sorry, mom. <laughs> she walks into her room and shuts the door. And I'm left there looking at this thing, and it's pretty, it's orange. I mean, it's waving at me. (laughs) And I'm like, i got to touch it. But I don't want to disobey my mom, because then my dad's going to kill me. And so I'm like, okay, how in the world can I, you know, touch it without touching it? And so being a genius, (laughs) I took a piece of paper, and and I ripped a tiny, tiny little piece, like that big. Because I'm like, ah. It'll be totally fine. And so I take that piece of paper, and my mom's still in her bedroom. I'm looking. And I look at that candle, and I light the piece of paper on fire. And I didn't know fire could move that fast. But my finger, man, it was burnt, and it hurt so bad. And I'm like, man, what a knucklehead. <laughs> what, how could I have been so dumb? And you say, well, what was the purpose of that story? This is the question I had to ask myself. Why in the world did I disobey her in the first place? She told me it's going to hurt. She said, Addison, if you touch the fire, it's going to burn you. Don't touch the fire. But you know what I did? I said, okay. And I burned my finger. Why in the world did I do that? And some of your wheels are starting to like, oh, I see, I see. It's because I did not have faith in my mother. 
I did not believe she knew what she was talking about. I didn't believe her intentions were pure. I thought, man, mom, you're holding out on me. You're keeping the fire all to yourself. You, you, your intentions aren't pure, mom. You don't really love me. If you loved me, you would let me touch the fire. And because I did not have faith in my mother, I disobeyed. Now let's look at the text. You see here, I believe this text is probably the best illustration of this principle at work. For you see here, God had created Adam and, Adam and Eve, and they were innocent. They were pure. They had done no wrong. And they enjoyed pure, unhindered fellowship with God. Man, that must have been good. Every day they got to walk with God in the garden, and they got to learn of God. I bet you God taught them of his creation. He taught them of himself, and they had this perfect relationship with God, and it was beautiful. They were in a beautiful place but then one day, Satan comes walking in, in the form of a serpent. <laughs> and Eve walks by this tree, and Satan says, hey, can you, can you eat of this tree here? This is my paraphrase. Can, can you eat of this tree? And Eve looks at him and says, oh, no. We can eat of all the other trees, but this tree... We can't eat it. Why? Because God said that if we eat of this tree, we will die. Don't touch it. God said, don't touch it. And you got to remember, they loved God. They enjoyed God. He was great. But now here's Satan, and he looks at her, and he says, did God really tell you that? I bet he would. Yeah, yeah. God told you not to eat of this tree, and you're going to die. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds just like him. That sounds just like him. And he's probably like, what in the world are you talking about? Oh, yeah. You see, uh, God knows. God knows. Man, if you eat of this tree, you're going to be just like a God. Yeah. God is holding out on you. You see, God's afraid. God's afraid that if you and Adam eat of this fruit, you're going to be as powerful as he is. And he doesn't want that. God wants all the power to himself. That's just like God, isn't it? And he's sitting there thinking, huh, I wonder if God's intentions aren't pure. I mean, I've been walking with him this whole time and everything seems dandy, but now Satan's here and he's saying that, that God's holding something back from me. That God really doesn't want my best. And so now you have two people. You have God over here who says, do not eat. And you have Satan over here saying, oh yeah, do it. And it comes down to one thing. Who was Eve going to place her faith in? You see, the battle for us has always been a battle for faith. Who are you going to trust? And Eve's here. She's at the valley of decision. And he's saying, man, God's holding out on you. God only is doing this because he knows that if you eat it, you're not going to need him anymore. If you eat of this, you'll be just like God. God doesn't want you to, to be as powerful as he is. And he's limiting you because you scare him if you were to eat this. He doesn't want competition. And so, we know what she does. She takes her faith off of God, places it onto herself and onto Satan's words. She takes a bite and Adam with her. And can I tell you, once we've bitten the lure that the devil sells us, that God's intentions aren't pure, 
Once we believe that what God says isn't true, oh, God just doesn't understand. Oh, God just doesn't know. Oh, God just, he's trying to hold out on me. Once we bite that lure, the rest comes very easy for the devil. But doesn't it sound familiar, though? You know, when God tells you, hey, man, I don't want you setting any wicked thing before your eye. Oh, God's holding something out on me. God just doesn't understand all of my coworkers. He just doesn't want me to have a good time. When God says wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Ah, God, that was written so long ago. God just doesn't understand. God just doesn't know. It's okay nowadays. It's okay for me to go to the bar and have some fun with my friends. Oh, no, I, I won't even go to the bar. It's okay for me to have, you know, a, a social drink now and then at my house. It's okay. God just doesn't get it. God, he's trying to hold out on me. Maybe you're a teenager in here and you hear that you should be modest as a young lady. Oh, no, no. See, God, oh, my goodness. I can't believe God would tell me to dress modestly. Doesn't he see what all the cool people are wearing? God just doesn't want me to be cool. We say, that's silly, but that's what we, that's what we think. That's right. it is. Maybe you're a husband in here, and the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And the way you treat your wife is not love. But you know what you say? God just doesn't understand my wife. God just doesn't get my situation. If God knew, oh, he would do the exact same thing. Oh, would he? Would he? Maybe you're a wife in here and the Bible says submit to your husband. Well, God just, he doesn't understand the culture we live in today. I, can, I don't have to submit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm being light on that because I don't want ladies hating me in here. <laughs> but you no, know, we think, man, God just doesn't get it. God's intentions are pure. He doesn't want what's best for me. You see, every time we disobey God, every time we go against his commands, we're doing it because we don't believe something about him. You see, Eve had a choice to make. Where was she going to place her faith? And what God had said or what Satan was saying? And we have the same choice every time we are confronted with sin. Where am I going to place my faith? In what God says or in what Satan and the culture are saying? You see, Eskimos have an ingenious way of killing foxes. Now, if you have a weak stomach, I'm sorry, but this point, it needs to be driven home. Eskimos, they have an ingenious way of killing foxes and wolves. You see, what they'll do is they'll, they'll take a knife, and they'll make sure this knife is nice and sharp, and they'll take that knife, and they'll kill an animal, and they'll take the blood from that animal, and they'll coat the knife in that blood, and then they'll freeze it. Then they'll coat the knife some more and they'll freeze it over and over again until that knife is covered in blood. And then what they'll do is they'll take that knife and they'll shove the butt of that knife into a wall of ice and leave. What happens as soon as that blood begins to melt, the wolves and the foxes begin to smell it and they say, oh, 
dinner time. And so they come and they find that knife and they begin to lick it. And they lick it and lick it and lick it and pretty soon that, that wolf or fox dies. Because somewhere in the middle, that wolf, that, that fox had stopped licking the blood off of the knife and had actually been drinking his own blood to death. It's nasty. And I know for me, I have a weak stomach just like some of you. But that's exactly how Satan works. Exactly how Satan works. You see, he'll take the knife of sin and he'll coat it in pleasure. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. He'll take it and he'll dip it in the blood of fulfillment. Look, it's going to bring you fulfillment. You deserve that. He's going to dip it in so many different things and he's going to plunge it into that wall and he's going to wait for, for you and me to come walking by and see, oh, that looks fun. Oh, that looks good. Just like Eve here. You see, when Satan said it, she looks at it and the Bible says that she looked at it and she saw that it was good for food. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. You see, Satan didn't force Eve to sin. And honestly, he doesn't force you or me to sin. Oftentimes, it's just like this. We see the knife coated in blood and we forget about the knife. We don't consider the end of a thing. We think, man, this looks fun. Immediate gratification. I want this now. And pretty soon we've fallen for his deception. And I want to, I want to make this very clear. Sin is not the blood. Sin is the knife. Sin is what kills. Sin is what destroys. You see, sin, the Bible says, has only one currency that it can pay you. You see, if I were to go and work for Mickey D's right now, the, the wages of McDonald's is money, okay? If I work for Mickey D's, it's money. But when you work for sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And the reason is this. It's very easy. God is life. God is life. And when you choose to go against God, there's only one direction you can head. And the Bible says when you go against God, you, you are licking that knife. You're saying, God, I don't believe you. I don't believe in what you say. I think you're trying to hold something back on me. And so we head straight for death. Here's the question. When God tells you not to sin, what do you do? Are you like me when my mom told me not to touch the candle? Do you kind of wait and see, oh, maybe, maybe no one's looking now. I think God, I just think God doesn't really know. I pray you understand that God is just like my mom in that instance. Well, when she told me not to touch that candle, she wasn't trying to hurt me. She was looking out for me. She said, if you touch that candle, it's going to hurt. And when God says, hey, don't be doing these works of the flesh. It's for your good. He says, don't lie. Be honest. When he says, hey, 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 make sure you're not into these different sins, he's saying, hey, hey, it's for your good. I don't want you getting burnt. But what's our reaction going to be? Can I tell you, your reaction tells you where your faith is. Every time we sin, we are saying, God, I don't believe this will really hurt me like you say it will. 
In essence, we're saying, God, I don't believe you're holy. Now, some of us are saying, no, I would never say that. Oh, but you do every time you willfully sin. You're saying, God, I don't believe you're holy. Why? Because I believe you have ulterior motives. God, I don't believe you're omniscient. Because, God, I don't believe you know what you're talking about. God, I don't believe you really love me and want what's best for me. I believe you're only doing what's best for yourself. And you're trying to take advantage of me. Do you see how every doubt has a faith attached to it? Let me explain. You doubt God's holy because you believe X, Y, or Z. You can never get rid of faith. You only have a choice of where to put it. You see, when man fell, he took his faith off of God and placed it on himself and the word of the devil. But when man is saved, glory to God, he takes it off of himself. He takes it off of the word of the devil and he again places it on Jesus Christ. And I love how God was not obligated to prove himself to me. He wasn't obligated to prove himself to you. He didn't have to say, man, I am holy. He didn't have to come and prove it to us, but he willingly did. Because he cared about us. He says, you know what? I know, Brother Addison, he will not believe me unless I prove this. He's not going to believe me. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become a man so he can see me. I'm going to take on flesh and bones so he can, with his eyes, he can see what I am. And he doubted that I was holy. So I'm going to live a sinless life. You, you, you thought that I did not know what I was talking about. You thought that I didn't know things. You doubted my omniscience. And so, at the age of 12, he dumbfounded the teachers. Throughout his life, he told people their thoughts. Throughout his life, he told them their past without ever meeting them before. And he said, you doubted, I knew. I took on flesh so I could show you. We doubted God loved us. And so Jesus said, you know what? You doubt I love you? The Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And Jesus says, okay, you doubt that I love you. And so I'll take up an old rugged cross, proving once and for all, I do. Eve, I wasn't holding out on you when I told you not to eat the fruit. Eve, I wasn't saying I did not love you. I, was, I had no ulterior motives. I want you to trust me, and so I'm going to give everything that I am. And can I tell you, next time you're faced with a sin, consider this. God cared so much about you, and he wanted to prove it to you. He wanted to show you. The Bible says that God commendeth. He demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were heading this direction, saying, God, I don't believe you. I don't care. I want to do it my way. I think you are wrong, and Satan's right, and we're going this way. God says, hey, even while you're going this direction, I came, and I showed my love for you. I took your place. I died on that tree. And if you're in here today, and you have never accepted that gift, today's the day. When you begin to trust God again, you find out that his commandments aren't grievous. You find that they're not there to constrict you. You find they're actually there to give you liberty in life. God's rules are so good. They're so great. When God says don't lie, it's for our good. I always tell people, 
turn, turn the commandments around. They sound better that way. We always say, ah, don't lie, don't do this, don't do that. Ah, it's just a book of rules, don't do this. But you know, you turn them around, it sounds beautiful. Don't get lied to. Thank you, God. Don't be stolen from. God's rules are there for our good, but Satan wants to tell you, no, 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 no. God's holding out on you. Go and sin. Go and have fun. And teenagers in here, that's going to be the message you're hounded at at public college. They're going to say, oh, it's your time. It's your time to go out and live it up. It's your time to go and have some fun. Don't worry. This is it's all part of life. You need to experience this. Oh, no, you don't. I didn't have to experience the fire. I, I did, but I, I wish I wouldn't have had to. You don't have to go through the, the muck in the of this world to say, oh, I, I finally understand why he said not to. You don't have to go through it, but you have to make a decision. Where is your faith going to be? Is it going to be in God or is it going to be in Satan? Is it going to be in God or is it going to be in your friends in this world? Who's your faith going to be placed onto? And I pray your faith is on Jesus Christ because he is the only perfect one. He is the only pure one and he would never lie to you. He would never tell you something that's not true. He has never had ulterior motives and he's only wanted the best for humankind since he created it. I mean, he created us. Why would he want anything less? God wants the best for you, teenagers. Are you going to trust him? God wants the best for you, husband and wife. Are you going to trust him? You know, without doubt, there are probably some of you in here who have yet to trust God in the area of finances. This wasn't in the notes at all, but God's leading this way. Some of you in here, you say, God just doesn't know how much I make. If he knew how much I make, he wouldn't ask that I give 10%. God just doesn't know. Or you can say, God just doesn't really care then. God doesn't care about me. Because if he knew, and the Bible says he does, he wouldn't ask me to give when I'm barely scraping by. You think he doesn't know? You think he doesn't care? Who do you think's telling you that? Definitely ain't God. Some of you in here, you got to step out on faith. you got to say, you know what, God? I'm going to prove you. You said that I should give, and you said that you're going to take care of me. I'm done listening to Satan. I'm done listening to this world. Placing my faith back in Christ. Where's your faith going to be tonight? You see, the Bible says that faith is accompanied by works in James chapter 1. Faith without works is dead being alone. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, what we call the hall of faith. By faith, they did. By faith, they did. Faith is always accompanied by works. What's your life look like today? If we were to look into your life, would we say, yeah, that person believes in Christ. That person believes in God. That person believes. So now the pendulum of life is swinging your way. It's looking you right in the face. Are you going to jump off the chair? Next time you're tempted, are you going to say, okay, yeah, I believe God. I believe God. I believe God. Then the temptation comes. You say, oh, no, bailing. Then you prove your faith was in God. Are you going to say, I have faith in God, I have faith in God, I have faith in God. And then, you know, next paycheck comes around and you say, well, I, I just can't this month. You're jumping off the table. Where is your faith going to be? You can always know whether or not your faith is in God by whether or not you're obeying him. Because faith in Christ always produces obedience. Now you will slip up. 
And God is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I want to tell you this. The more you place your faith in Christ, the smaller and the fewer times you're slipping up should be. You should begin to see, man, when I listen to God, it goes well. When I listen to him, man, he's not trying to hold it out. Time after time after time, as she gets fewer and fewer, the times apart should get longer and longer. As you see, man, God's way is the best way. I have proved him and giving him, I can't outgive him. I've heard it all my life, but now I'm actually putting it into practice and I'm, I'm tithing more and more and I'm giving more and I'm giving more. Oh man, I, I totally thought that the world's ways and the world's pleasures were where it's at. But, but as I continue to step by faith and say, God, I believe you, I'm just going to do what you say. I'm, I'm realizing what God says is true. He totally has my back. And you're going to begin to walk closer and closer and closer to God saying, man, God, why didn't I do this so long ago? Every time you step out on faith and obey God instead of obeying the words of your flesh and the words of this world and the words of Satan, you're going to see God is faithful. Amen. I want to close with an illustration. There was a tightrope walker who lived in France many years ago. And, and this tightrope walker, he was the best. This guy was crazy. See, what he would do is he would, he would go anywhere, anytime, and he would tightrope across anything. It didn't, it didn't matter. And the first time he would go across, he would go across normally. The second time he'd go across, he'd go, he'd go across blindfolded. The third time he'd go across, he'd go across blindfolded with a wheelbarrow. And people were amazed, and, and word got back to the States, and there was a promoter there, and, and this promoter was like, man, this is too good to be true. This is too good to be true. And so what he did is he sat down, and he, he began to pen this tightrope walker a letter, and this is what he said. He said this, tightrope, I don't believe you can do it, but I'm willing to make you an offer. For a very substantial sum of money, besides all your transportation fees, I would like to challenge you to do your act over Niagara Falls. And so he sent that letter off, and it made its way over to France. And, and in France, this man opened up the letter, and he reads it, and I can almost see this guy chuckling to himself, and he says this as he wrote back. Sir, although I've never been to America and seen the falls, I'd love to come. And so the promoter began getting everything ready. He began sending out the pamphlets. He began doing the promotional things that he does. And he's getting the tickets ready to sell. And, and so the day comes and the French tightrope walker comes over. And, and ha there's huge crowds around there. And I bet you this promoter is so happy, so excited. And, and so the, the tightrope walker, he puts the blindfold on and he walks across. And man, the people are so, they're, they're on their edge of their seat, but it looks like he's doing it easily. He just walks straight across and everything's fine. And he, he gets to the other side and the crowd goes wild. And so he walks over to the promoter. And he looks at the promoter and says, well, Mr. Promoter, do you believe I can do it now? And the promoter said, well, of course I do. I mean, I just saw you do it. And the tightrope walker looked at him and said, no. Do you really believe I can do it? And he says, well, well, of course I did. You just did it. And the tightrope walker looked at him one more time and said, no, no, no. Do you believe I can do it? And the promoter looked at him and said, yes, I believe you can do it. And so the tightrope walker looked straight at the promoter and he said, then get in the wheelbarrow. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah. You know, if that were me, I'd be like, sorry. No. But that is a true test of faith right there. 
do you really believe I can do it? Get in the wheelbarrow. You know what God's saying to all of us right now? Do you believe? Do you believe me? Not just what he says. Do you believe my character? I love how Pastor Bob's been going over that. Do you believe in who I am? Do you believe I'm holy? Do you believe I'm unchangeable? Do you believe I'm everywhere? Do you believe these things? Get in the wheelbarrow. And so my challenge to you today, when life is, is throwing these things at you and temptation comes your way and you say, yeah, I have to give in. I have to fall. No, you don't. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and say, you know what? I believe him. I believe what he says. And when those, those trials of life are barreling you in your face and you, you don't know why it's happening. You say, God, why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. Why is this happening? And those coming right at your face and you're tempted to bail. You're tempted to leave church. You're tempted to get offended. You're tempted to go and, and, and live Satan's way because you say, man, if, if God were true, this would not be staring me right in the face. You better say, you know what? I'm done listening to my flesh. I'm done listening to Satan. God is good. Amen. God is holy, and if this thing's coming my way, I'm going to believe God knows about it. I'm going to believe God has a reason. I'm going to believe God. So who do you believe today? Where is your faith? Because it shows. Do you have faith in God? I pray you do. Everyone's head bowed, everyone's eyes closed, no one looking around. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was a help to you. This was years ago that we preached this, but I pray that Maybe this was something that can impact your life the same way this truth has impacted mine. Well, that's it for this week. We'll see you next week.